You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Chris and Nick Show here on Big Blue View Radio. I am one of the hosts, Nick Filato, joined as always by Chris Flum to review this 20-20 to tie with the Washington Commanders. Honestly, Chris, it kind of feels a little bit more like a loss just because the Giants had so many opportunities throughout this game, as we said on the Reaction Podcast, to seize the victory. And after going through the film and seeing those opportunities just slip between the fingers of the New York Giants, it's pretty damn frustrating. It, it really is. And I, I can't imagine anyone actually feels good about this game, really on either side, because, yeah, neither team lost but neither team really deserved the win. So yeah, maybe the tie was kind of fitting. I guess so. I, I do guess so. And I guess we should start with this rushing attack that the New York Giants leaned on so heavily early in the season. Saquon Barkley was looking like a possible MVP candidate. Easy check the box for comeback player of the year, even though he was injured back in 2020. But now the Giants are struggling to really find their footing throughout the entirety of a football game when they want to run the football. But it started pretty solid, right, Chris? I mean, Barkley had, what, 11 carries for 60 yards in the first half, a lot of GH counter from Mike Kafka, and they were running against a team that almost exclusively runs nickel and dime personnel. Giants come out there in 13 personnel with more than two tight ends, 12, 13 personnel, like almost half the snaps, Chris, yet in the second half and down the stretch of that game, they couldn't really get anything going on the ground. No, they really couldn't. And I think it, there's probably a couple things at play here. Yeah, the Giants opened up the season with a brand new offense, a bunch of new offensive linemen, and I think it took a while for the rest of the NFL to catch up with the Giants blocking schemes, how how they like to attack defenses, how they like to employ Saquon Barkley, how they use pre-snap motion, jet motion to throw eye candy at defenses. And teams, opposing teams, didn't really have a handle on the Giants' tendencies yet. But as the season's going on, you know, there's more and more tape out there. So I think opposing defenses are are starting to get an idea of what the Giants like to run out of what formations and when. And also, the Giants do have a problem with defensive linemen, particularly interior defensive linemen, who are capable of getting penetration. And especially in the second half, I saw a ton of penetration from the Washington defensive line, particularly against Mark Lewinsky, but also against Nick Gates as well. And I think that kind of blew up quite a few of the Giants running plays in the backfield. These defensive linemen who can get horizontal, they can quote unquote, get skinny through gaps while penetrating and also while slanting from a scheme and X's and O's point of view, they have, just like you said, given the Giants so much fits. Basically, since the Seattle game, I think that's when it really started to crop up. And Glowinski has been playing terribly. But to focus on this 
rushing attack. The Giants opened this game and they ran the football pretty effectively on that first drive, right? It was a GH counter for three yards, nothing too great on that first play. But then Daniel Jones off the play action does an excellent job reading the defensive front and finding an angle, running for nine yards. It's not a designed run play, but then the Giants on first and 10 come out and they run the football with Saquon Barkley. Good fill by Cameron Curl. That was a 12 personnel run. And I like the fact that the Giants on second and five went to a GT quarterback counter. So that means the backside guard and the backside tackle are going to pull to the play side and kick out. And Daniel Jones goes into the mesh point with Saquon Barkley. The defense reacts to Saquon Barkley. And then he basically keeps it behind those two guys with the rest of the offensive line blocking down. And I'm wondering if Daniel Jones didn't fumble on that play, if Mike Kafka and Brian Dable maybe would have went back to the well for these design quarterback runs because we really didn't see it other than zone read type plays after that because it was a pretty effective rush. And I think Daniel Jones just you know lost the football on that play. There, there were two ways he could have went and the defense played it well. But I am curious to, to uh, get your opinion on, do you think this fumble kind of changed the Giants approach and didn't want to really put Daniel Jones in a situation where he could do that again with design quarterback runs against a really tough defensive front? You know, I think that is very possible because I think a lot of the Giants offensive game plan was centered around protecting Daniel Jones and protecting themselves as a whole. You know, they ran a very, very fast offense. By that, I mean, they didn't really take a whole lot of time to develop plays. Everything was pretty quick hitting. Whether it was a run or a pass, the the ball was basically moving forwards or the ball was in motion within a second or two of the snap, no matter what type of play it was. And I think a lot of their offense was based around the idea of not hurting themselves, you know, kind of the uh, you don't go broke making a profit. And the Giants, I think, understanding that they cannot give the opposing team favorable field position or any extra chances, any extra possessions. And, you know, I think when they saw the Washington defense take the ball away from Daniel Jones, which was really a great play on their part, like you said, they played it well. And, you know, the defender put his hat right on that, right on that football, popped it loose, and then they jumped on it, which is really what you're supposed to do. We've seen the Giants do that a ton this year. And, yeah, I I don't want to say that scared them off of those plays, but I think it kind of gave them pause. It probably did give them pause. And as I brought up at the top of the show, Chris, due to your stat research, Saquon Barkley, 11 carries, 60 yards in the first half against a team that runs a lot of nickel. And the Giants, like I said, were out there in 13. But then in the second half, they had five carries for a yard <laughs> because they just kept going three and out, three and out, four and out. And then in overtime, they had two carries for two yards. And the Washington, I almost called them football team, the commanders, they run a ton of quarters, man. They run a lot of too high. There was a lot more too high than the Giants have seen. So you would imagine that the Giants against a lighter personnel front with two deep safeties in a quarters type of look, they'd be able to establish a run, but that was not the case. But it did help them kind of establish a very short passing attack near the line of scrimmage to in an attempt to attack the off leverage from Jack Del Rio's defense. Yes, and that does fit in with what we have seen from Mike Kafka this year. He is a tendency exploiter. And 
if Washington was going to show middle of the field open, two high safeties, uh, off leverage, either zone or off man coverage on the outside, the Giants were absolutely happy to take advantage of that. That really did play right into the the play action boot that they love to run. And that does work into also protecting Daniel Jones because then you you slow down the defense with the play action. And I have to say, I was very impressed with Jones's ball handling in this game. Uh, there were a few times, even the all 22 cameraman was completely faked out and had no clue where the ball was, who had it, where it was going. So that that is impressive. And, you know, using that to slow down the defense, get Jones out, get the get him away from the pass rush and able to target a receiver, uh, Bellinger, Slayton, Richie James, one of those guys running horizontally with a more favorable angle for the pass and running away from coverage. Now that really played into what the giants wanted to do. Unfortunately, those are pretty much all very short passes that allowed the, the defense to just play downhill nonstop. And Washington has several defenders who were really excellent playing top down and coming downhill and making sound tackles in space. Like I, I tweeted about Cameron Curl, that, that kid is such an underrated safety in the league. He's like 200 pounds and he's aligning in the box almost exclusively in their nickel and dime personnel. I thought John Bostic, who I don't know how, but this guy is an older veteran linebacker who played, in my opinion, on the All-22 phenomenally and was really in position a lot. Jamin Davis had his plays. So Washington's defense is really good when they do play top-down. Like I said, they weren't quarters. 35.4% of the time, they weren't cover three, middle of the field close. 27.7% of the time, they didn't really run man coverage against the Giants. They ran man coverage 3.1% of the time and then cover two, 16.9% of the time. So a little bit different than how some other teams have played the New York Giants in terms of cover one. And they did run cover three, but that short passing attack, I mean, it, it doesn't lead to a lot of explosive plays from this offense, but the Giants did attempt to throw the ball deep in the second half. They did have the explosive play in the first half to Darius Slayton for 55 yards to set up the Giants' first touchdown, but... Do we want to get into these these deep shots that that three play sequence when Mike Kafka just this was in the second half with the Giants at the ball went with three consecutive deep shots and one of them was unfortunately a drop by Darius Slayton. What was your thoughts on that play? Yeah, th this is one uh, Ed actually asked me for my take on it yesterday, and I, I would say I without knowing precisely what that play was designed to do, whether Slayton was supposed to just run under the ball and try to catch it in stride and keep going, or if it was almost like a, a deep curl or something like that, where him stopping, turning back towards the ball and trying to high point it was what they had planned. Yeah, I, I put that kind of that play kind of 70, 30 on Slayton and yeah, seventy percent on Slayton, thirty percent on Jones. Because if it, if that play was run how it was run up, it did look like an something of an overthrow, not an egregious overthrow, not like the overthrow Tyler Heineke had on uh, Logan Several Thomas. <laughs> yeah, but still an overthrow. However, that was also a play Slayton has to make. He, yes, he had to elevate. He had to jump about as high as he could but he did get his hands on the ball and he lost it before he even hit the ground like he was wide open that safety was middle of the field he hadn't even cleared the left hash mark before Slayton had the ball in his hands 
and he lost it before he hit the ground. Like we have complimented Darius Slayton in this podcast. He has been the Giants' best and most reliable receiver, but he's also having the worst drop rate of his career. Yeah, he's dropped, I believe, six passes so far this year, and that's an 11.5% drop rate. That is worse than Evan Ingram ever was. So, yeah, that that is, I would say, less than ideal. <laughs> it's definitely less than ideal. That says a lot with his worst drop rate. I don't think it's his worst drop rate by percentage. It's 13.2% this season. Last year was 18.8%. The year before was 107 He's always struggled with drops. And in 2019, he was solid back in his rookie season. He only had three drops that season, which was his best season to date. I mean, 740 yards and eight touchdowns. But with that specific play, Brian Dable after the game said this was a levels concept. So a levels concept is you have a bunch of three receivers. It doesn't have to necessarily be in a bunch that could be a little bit spread out. This was a little bit of a wider bunch all inside the numbers between the numbers and the hash and the number one receiver and the number three receiver. They run basically deep digs, deep over routes, whatever you really want to call them. And then the number two receiver, typically on a levels concept, will run an even deeper dig or sometimes a deeper flag. But in this route, it looks like Darius Slayton is just clearing out. I think this is... A, an issue with Darius Slayton. I think he did not realize that the defender had blown his coverage. It looks like some sort of cover three type of uh, defense from Jack Del Rio, and nobody takes the deep third. The middle of the field close safety kind of cheats towards Richie James a little bit, right? And Darius Slayton is just wide open. I don't know if Slayton realized that he was as wide open as he was. And then I don't understand why he kind of stopped up his route and jumped so early. I think he kind of jumped a little bit prematurely. If he kept running, he might have been able to run underneath that throw. But I said on Twitter that after I watched the All-22, and I still stand by this, I think in an ideal world, which we do not live in, <laughs> Daniel Jones puts this ball a little bit more air, not as much on a line to the outside if he recognized that the deep third defender wasn't there, and he just allows Darius Slayton to run underneath it doesn't mean Darius Slayton has to flip his hips. You just put a little bit more air underneath it and Darius Slayton can run underneath it towards the numbers instead of splitting the numbers and the hash. Maybe that would have been the ideal situation, but if somebody had to be blamed, I would have to say it would be Darius Slayton over Daniel Jones on this specific play, just like you said, but you, you just got to hang on to that football in that in that circumstance, it's in your hands. If he catches his ball, it's, there's less than two minutes left in the game. The Giants are essentially going to be in field goal range. You know, like Graham Gano, you run the football a couple of times, pick up some yards, and hopefully the Giants can exit MetLife Stadium with a win. But sometimes Darius Lane does not come down with these really, really difficult types of catches. It's just a, a missed opportunity. And credit Daniel Jones for reading the defense. He had some pressure in his face. I think he saw the deep third defender go with Isaiah Hodgins dig route. And then number 20, the curl flat defender didn't replace him. So it's just a middle of the field closed safety against Darius Slayton, really in the middle of the field, all the way to the sideline. That's a ton of space to operate and work with, but it sucks that this uh, was not a connection because this could have been a huge game changing type of play, possibly season changing. Yeah, it really was. And it, it this was one of those opportunities the Giants had that they didn't take advantage of. And it, it, that was something that had really cropped up for both teams. You know, mentioned uh, Taylor Heineke overthrowing Logan Thomas. Yeah, that was really a walk-in touchdown if he didn't airmail it over the, what, six-foot-six tight end's head. And then you also had the cat, the, uh, flag on Fabian Moreau that was picked up if that hadn't been picked up Washington sitting there right there 
on the door to the end zone. And there's a, I would say pretty good chance that they're coming away with a touchdown instead of a field goal in that position. So there were a ton of those plays throughout the game that really the fact that they weren't made really swung the momentum. Chris, did you have any other takes on the two minute drill before halftime? I know there was a lot of opinions about what actually went down there and Washington. I know just by their defensive front, they did this a lot throughout the game. They were just inviting Mike Kafka to run the football. You have any other opinions on that? The near interception or anything? You know, I, I didn't hate the uh, two minute drill before the half, just because like you said, Washington was inviting the run. They were daring the Giants to run. I saw plays where they they had three whole gaps basically uncovered. And when you see four or five man boxes with multiple gaps uncovered, you're, you're going to run the ball every single time, especially if you've got Saquon Barkley, a guy who even as a running back with, you know, taking the handoff in the backfield is still probably your most explosive player. Yeah. You know, Yes, the clock keeps running unless he gets out of bounds. But there's also against a defense like that, a pretty good chance that he's going to break one. And I I don't hate the Giants taking the attempt at a explosive rushing touchdown over a more aggressive pass in that situation because, you know, we saw what could happen when Daniel Jones drops back. He was under pressure. He got sacked four times. Granted, that was also including overtime. But yeah, I'm not sure how much the Giants trusted their pass protection. Um, we did note before the game that Evan Neal, first game back, he was, I would say, even surprisingly good in pass protection. But the interior of the Giants offensive line was not. <laughs> they were not that good in pass protection. So, you know, I don't hate the the decision to run the ball there. The second two-minute drill, just before the end of the game with the three passes, that I think showed what could happen, what could have gone wrong with that first two-minute drill, where you had the drop by Darius Slayton, the play down the sideline that that just got messed up all the way. Uh, Slayton didn't really fight to stay inside. The He got forced out of bounds, the pass it didn't leave a whole hell of a lot of room with for Slayton to work with either and then Daniel Jones throws into double coverage that would a ball that probably should have been picked off like if, if this was the Giants and their defense we're saying you know Julian Love or whoever happened to be had their hand on the ball why didn't you come away with that you you need to make that interception because that sets you up in great field position for a potential game-winning field goal yeah, absolutely. It's it's interesting for, for sure. And you're right on the running into the box because <laughs> Washington would align with like one linebacker from like the B gaps all the way between the A gaps. So like literally there's like two four eyes outside the tackles just inviting the run. And the Giants were able to rush Saquon Barkley for 21 yards, but then they adjusted. And the next time they tried the halfback draw, it did not work. But the end of the day, man, the Giants need to find a way to muster offense. It's it's not a great state right now. Let's hope they can do it against a challenging defense in Philadelphia or on Sunday night football against Washington in two weeks. But before we get to the defense, Chris, we're going to have to take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsors here at SB Nation. 
Vacations can be tricky. You already know how to book flights and hotels, but now the only thing you're missing is, you know, the actual travel experience. Because is it really a vacation if you're just sitting around like you would at home? You need a tool to get the most out of your time away. That's where Viator steps in. You can book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. All right, Chris, let's dive into this defense. And there are two names I really want to discuss. Kayvon Thibodeau and then the return of Aziz Ojolari. Let's start with Kayvon Thibodeau, who had his second sack of his career, albeit he was unblocked for some reason. I'm not really sure what Washington's offensive line is doing here, but just like a lot of other games, right? A lot of this offensive attention is being slid towards Kayvon Thibodeau, chip and release from the tight end, things of that nature. But I really think Kayvon Thibodeau is starting to come into his own here towards the end of the season. Yeah, he really is. I noticed he was he's been getting very good at timing the snap. Yeah, I think that really speaks to the work he's putting in during the week in the film room, you know, recognizing opposing quarterbacks uh cadence, their the way they get their plays in and go through their pre-snap routine. Yeah, he is he is absolutely firing off the ball right now. And there were times he was I I would say right on the ragged edge of getting an offsides penalty. But yeah, he was on the right side of that ragged edge and getting Aziz Ojolari back. I think that makes for a pretty dynamic pass rushing duo for the Giants. Yeah, I'm not going to say they're the next Tuck and O.C. or Strahan and O.C., but it does have that kind of dynamic as you have the dangerous speed rusher in Ojolari and then a very, very solid generalist in Thibodeau. Generalist? Look at you, Chris. I like it. Yeah. And uh, honestly, man, just looking at Aziz Ojolari's return, this dude shot out of a cannon. He is very, very quick. And if he can get hip to hip on tackles, he's really flexible, like really bendy. I studied his tape at Georgia, and I felt like, yes, he can win high side. But I don't think I necessarily realized that he was this flexible. Like he is turning the corners through contact, and his knees are about an inch off the ground with his ankles flat. That is very difficult to do. Humans typically do not bend like that. And if Aziz Ojolari can stay healthy and Kayvon Thibodeau continues to progress in his career, the Giants are looking at just two of the most dynamic young pass rushers in the league. Obviously, they need to continue to take steps towards that direction. But with that type of bend and that type of natural ability and that explosiveness it really makes me excited about the future of this defensive front. Yeah, and especially with the uh, the players the Giants have on their defensive interior with Dexter Lawrence creating havoc and collapsing pockets. And Leonard Williams, you know, he he doesn't have the pass rush 
production that we saw from him back in that you know one big year he had a couple years ago back in 2020 but he is still very quick he is still a guy defenses or i'm sorry offenses have to respect and i do like how he uses his quickness in run defense where it looks like the running back is past him and all of a sudden he disengages sheds the block and gets the guy on the ground so i want to bring up something before we get into taylor heineke why do you think the Giants didn't play Rodarius Williams in this game? Look, Darnay Holmes didn't play because he had a shoulder injury. And Rodarius Williams and Tay Crowder, after the game, they, they tweeted something. I think Tay Crowder said, free me. Rodarius Williams expressed his discontent with not being able to play in this game. I wasn't really 100% certain why the Giants didn't put him out there because he looked pretty damn good on Thanksgiving against Dallas. Do you make anything of those comments from those two players? Do you think it's just kind of like a water under the bridge thing? They're going to get fined. They should never do it again or they'll get cut. And why do you think the Giants opted to go with the Zion Gilbert over Rodarius? You know, I hope it's just a water under the bridge, you know, just young player frustration kind of bubbling over a little bit after I would say a very frustrating game and week. As for why Rodarius didn't play, I do wonder if it might not have just been a matchup question, just down to the difference between CD Lamb, Michael Gallup, and Curtis Samuel, Terry McLaurin, and Jahan Dotson. Washington has smaller, much quicker receivers than... Dallas has it both teams have very good receivers but they're just very different styles and I do wonder if the Giants felt that Rodarius is maybe a little bit too stiff in the hips to keep up with uh, Curtis Samuel or Terry McLaurin throughout their routes with the type of the type of defense that Wink Martindale wanted to play they might have felt that Zion was just a bit better matchup in this case now, I'm not sure they saw the referees allowing the Giants to be as physical as they were. You know, given that, I probably would have liked to see Rodarius out there because he is a bit bigger of a cornerback. And he was a guy during the draft I thought might be a candidate to transition to safety with how physical he is able to be. I think that's a really good take by you. I, I... You look at Jahan Dotson, Curtis Samuel, Terry McLaurin. They're so much different than Michael Gallup, which was the primary receiver Rodarius Williams was on. So hopefully we get to see Rodarius because I was intrigued by him after that Dallas game. And as for Tay Crowder, look, man, you're you're going on Twitter saying free me. Like Tay Crowder, we've watched a lot of your football. Like you you have a lot of stuff to work on. Don't try to create issues when when it's not there. <laughs> it's one thing yes. I would say. It's not like you have really great tape on your resume outside of that Chicago game this year where he looked like a completely different player. But Chris, what were your opinions of Taylor Heineke? The Giants are going to see this guy in two weeks on prime time. What do you think the Giants can exploit about this kid? You know, the, the thing I really noticed with Heineke, it was something we noted in our preview, preview of him. It's just, he is an incredibly competitive player and i would say it's kind of it's almost fortunate for everybody that isn't a washington fan that his physical skills do not match up with his competitiveness because in this case i felt like his competitiveness really worked against him in some cases like he was completely fearless in testing the giants coverage trying to fit the ball into windows that almost weren't even there 
And I think that did lead to him holding the ball quite a bit, which gave that gave the Giants pass rush a lot, a lot longer to get home than say Daniel Jones gave the Washington pass rush to get to him. Yeah, there were times where I saw Heineke have a player open and then look off that player looking for the bigger shot, looking for the bigger play, waiting for Terry McLaurin to work open. And by the time he did, the pass rush was right in his face. And then we saw, you know, five sacks, two fumbles. And I think if they, if he moved to his check down, if he was willing to accept the check down a little bit more readily, Washington might have been able to field a more consistent offense. Yeah. And I'm also hoping that next time these two teams meet in two weeks, the Giants have Xavier McKinney and Adoree Jackson back to really create some sort of indecisiveness with Taylor Heineke. We'll have to wait and see because honestly, man, going through the film, you see Julian Love. This dude is he's doing everything out there with no Xavier McKinney. That guy is making incredible open field tackles. He's playing deep. He's playing in the box. He's in man coverage. He's blitzing. He's doing literally everything and wearing so many hats. I think he has got to be one of the most underrated players on this team, and he's a team captain. <laughs> yeah, he, He's a captain for two different squads, special teams and defense. I have always been high on Julian Love, and he is, I think, really really impressing me with how he has stepped up as a starter to the point where you almost have to wonder why didn't it happen sooner? Yeah. I mean, he got bounced around a lot earlier in his career because the giants sucked at cornerback. So they put him back to his natural position in college, used him as a cornerback back in 2020 against the Browns. And I think Dallas, and he looked pretty good. I mean, look, he's a, he's a really good football player. I hope he stays here in New York on a, on a reasonable deal because I, I think he will be valuable to grow the defense around him on the back end, which is a very smart and versatile type player. But Chris, do you have anything else on the giants defense? You know what? One thing I do want to touch on at least a little bit, you know, we talked about how Washington played defense on the, on that two minute drill in the first half, that fourth quarter drive uh, started about what, 345 or so left in the game where Washington, Washington was able to drive down and get the touchdown had an ins- absolutely insane throw from Heineke on that fourth and four. I noticed the giants actually adopted some of what Washington was doing with their front. They were playing a super wide alignment on several of those plays. They had, I believe it was Dexter Lawrence lined up as a nose tackle, zero technique, nose tackle head up on that center. And then they had two wide nine edges. Yeah. Out lined up outside of where the tight end lines up. And then one stand up rusher. I, pretty much stacked behind one of those wide nines. I believe it was usually on the defensive left. And then that was it. They played the, that four man pressure, seven men in coverage. So yeah, that was just a very, I would say even odd look considering how much time was left in the game. I was almost surprised that Washington didn't try to run on that look because man, the giants weren't defending any gaps there. (laughs) No, they weren't. And they had Antonio Gibson out on the field, but he was split out. So I'm wondering if the Giants would have adjusted their team, but they still only had one true interior defensive lineman on a fourth and four. They motioned Antonio Gibson on that play. 
confirmed man coverage. Giants were in cover one robber, and they dropped Julian Love into the box to rob anything over the middle of the field. And Taylor Heineke liked what he saw to the outside. And this was, I think, just an excellent route adjustment on that fourth and four by Curtis Samuel, who was running basically a deep post. He beat Cordell Flott to the inside, and then he just went back outside and just toasted Flott away from the safety. He had nothing but space, and it was probably one of the best throws in the game from either quarterback, just throwing, rolling opposite direction, and then just kind of heaving it like your Derek Jeter trying to throw someone out at shortstop. And it was right on target in such a high leverage situation. Just a, a great individual play by Taylor Heineke. And uh, the Giants defense just couldn't really stop anything at that point because they were basically out on the football field the entire freaking second half because the Giants offense couldn't do anything. Yeah, uh, outside of that drive, really no offense was able to do anything. You know, just before we get out of here, I want to run through the what happened on each drive in the second half in overtime. You know, first drive in the second half, Washington gets the ball. Three plays, turnover. Giants get the ball off the turnover. Five plays, touchdown. From there, Washington gets the ball. 13 plays, punt. Giants get the ball. Four plays, punt. Washington gets the ball. 13 plays, missed field goal. Giants get the ball. Five plays, punt. Washington, five plays, punt. Giants, five plays, punt. Washington, eight play, touchdown. Giants, that two-minute drill, four plays, punt. Washington, seven plays, punt. End of the half. Giants take the knee. Get into overtime. Giants get the ball on the kickoff. Five plays, punt. Washington, six plays, punt. New York, Nine plays, punt. Washington, four plays, punt. Giants, five plays, missed field goal, tie. <laughs> like it, Neither offense outside of a couple plays was able to do much of anything in that second half. It was almost amazing to watch, particularly on the All-22, but not amazing in a good way. <laughs> Not amazing at all. And think about that, right? Because the Giants defense set up the Giants offense with that strip fumble on Taylor Heineke. And then Isaiah Hodgins ran a beautiful route. Daniel Jones threw the touchdown pass. And then they were back out there, the Giants defense, for that 11-play drive. Forced a punt after an 11-play drive. Giants go three and out on the next possession. Nine yards. That's what I have on ESPN. And then the defense is out there again, Chris, for 12 plays. Missed field goal because Dexter Lawrence sacks Taylor Heineke to make the field goal a much longer distance for Joey Sly. And how does the offense repay them? Three and out. Minus five yards. And again, there was more than three plays, like you said, five. But that's because there was the penalty by, um, I can't remember who it was on that drive. Or it might have been even the next. Yeah, there was the penalty on, I think, Daniel Bellinger, which was an offensive holding penalty. And then the <laughs> it's crazy, man. I know you just went over it, but then. Another three and out by Washington, and the Giants go four and out. And that was, I believe, the play with John Feliciano flexing. If that does not happen, there's like six minutes left in the game, Chris. Darius Slayton just got 12 yards, did a great job. They were in almost field goal range. Essentially, the game was almost won there. If they get up by 10 with a field goal and... I don't think Washington is going to be able to score 10 points in like five minutes or whatever it would have been with the way they were playing against the Giants defense. So it's uh, it was something that was really, really frustrating. And I think that's the adjective I used right away it was frustrating, disappointing, whatever, however you want to quantify it, man. It was a uh, it was definitely an, a defensive effort with with not a lot of great personnel 
but they they ended up capitulating in the end because they played I think like 85 snaps or something throughout the game something incredible I know it was overtime but still the offense didn't play nearly as much no and we started off this podcast by saying this tie really felt like a loss and I think just looking at how the second half and overtime went how the Giants and both teams really just kind of took turns snatching defeat from the jaws of victory. <laughs> yeah, that's why this game was so frustrating. That's why it feels like a loss. Like immediately after the game, you you said it was disgusting, and I cannot disagree with that at all. <laughs> <laughs> disgusting. Yeah, that's that's quite the way to describe it. But anyways, everybody, thank you so much for tuning in to the Chris and Nick show here on Big Blue View Radio. Please head on over to Big Blue View dot com to check out all of our written content like subscribe comments on this podcast that kind of stuff does wonders for us and let's hope the giants can get some get some offense together because they're going up against the best team in the nfl right now in the philadelphia eagles before facing those washington commanders off a of bye week in prime time so everybody take care of each other and have a lovely one Claude 3 from Anthropic is your one-stop shop for enterprise AI. With models at every point of the price-performance curve, you no longer have to make trade-offs between intelligence, speed, and cost. Claude 3 Opus sets new industry benchmarks for intelligence. Sonnet strikes the perfect balance between skill and speed. And Haiku is the fastest and lowest-cost model on the market, perfectly designed for high-volume, high-speed use cases. Join the thousands of enterprises who use Anthropic to navigate this new frontier. Visit anthropic.com slash Claude, C-L-A-U-D-E, today. Jumpstart your genius with Claude 3 by Anthropic. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.